We are going to take a break from our. Um, we're going to take a break from our series in First Corinthians um, today. And hang on, let me just get set. And so, if you have a Bible, please open it to Genesis 32, verses one through 12. Genesis 32, verses one through 12. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, you could probably download one faster than I can say get a Bible. Um, but also on the website, Cindy provided a link where you click it, it takes you right to a website so you can follow along with the text. And it is a good text, um, but let's pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us through your word this morning that you would make our faith bigger and our fear smaller. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our family, um, we've identified two types of fun. Uh, the first type of fun is it's fun while you're happening. You're eating a, a chocolate sundae, something like that. Fun while it's happening. Running a marathon, not fun while it's happening, only fun when it's over. So that's type two fun. But a couple of years ago, we actually discovered a third type of fun, type three fun, which is fun because you didn't die. Now, my wife is, is the cruise director of our family. She just comes up with incredible ideas for family adventures. And, and we had gone on vacation. This was during, you know, the lockdown summer. What can we do as a family? We went, we went up to Crested Butte and we enjoyed what's up in Crested Butte. And one of the things, she planned this whole cool day where we were gonna go on this wildflower hike. We got a wildflower guide book. And, and then we were gonna go to this like abandoned town up in the mountains. And this sounded incredibly cool. And after the wildflower hike, we were looking at a map that was posted next to the trail. And it indicated that there's a shortcut to the abandoned town that would cut like 20 miles of dirt road off of, off of the drive. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. It's a dirt trail, but we've done that before. We have, a, we have the adventure car, as we call it, and, and then we'll be fine. So no problem, here we go. It's a bumpy trail, it's getting bumpier, and then it starts going up right? And it starts getting narrower and narrower the higher that we go up to the point that on one side we had a wall, right, of just shale, some of which was washing out the trail, and on the other, on the other side was just a steep drop of hundreds and hundreds of feet, okay? Now, my wife is very, very adventurous with this sort of thing. And I'm usually the one who's the wimp. And so I'm starting to, to, to feel the feelings of anxiety and fear. My shoulders are creeping up towards my ears. I'm starting to feel a little dizzy. And this trail just gets narrower and narrower until it's, it's the, the width of our car and that's it. And at one point, there was just all this shale across the road and we stop right in front of it because Sharon, the one who's not afraid of this stuff said, I think we may have made a big mistake. And I said, oh, if Sharon's afraid, then we really are in trouble, okay? And, and so I'm just trying to like keep under control, heart rate, dizziness, and Sharon says, do you think that you could go in reverse? And I was like, under no circumstances can I drive that in reverse. There is no way. And, you know, like the kids are saying helpful things like, 
boy, that's a long way down. I'm like, quiet, not helping, boy. <laughs> you know, and, and so we didn't know what to do because we were terrified and we were just, we actually considered just getting out and walking. Fear had frozen us in place. And here's the thing. The only way out of the fear was to move forward, right? Like we couldn't just stay on this, on this cliff trail indefinitely. And so eventually we, we did start moving forward. As I did so, this is not a joke. Soji, who was two at the time, starts going, dying, dying from the back seat. <laughs> to be frozen in place by fear, and the only way out of fear is forward, isn't just true on what we now call Death Drive 2020. <laughs> it's true in much of life. Fear keeps us from moving forward, but the only way through fear is to move forward. It's to take that next brave step. It, it may be that you are in a relationship with someone and to move, and it, it's, it's getting serious. And it is really terrifying to take the next step with that person, whether that's engagement or marriage or, or whatever, because you've been hurt before and you're afraid of that pain. But the only way through that fear is to move forward. You may be afraid of being rejected because you've been rejected out of community before. And a place like a church is a really scary place. And to take the next step of letting yourself be known, of being vulnerable in community is terrifying. It freezes you in place, but the only way through that fear is forward. It's to go forward. There may be somebody with whom you need to have a difficult conversation, whether that's apologizing or confronting or reconciling, you name it. The reason that you haven't picked up the phone and made that appointment is because you're afraid. Yet the only way through that fear is forward into it. I, I mean, it's not just true in, in personal situations. The world is full of scary things, isn't it? I mean, for goodness sake, one can look at the rise of, of these new fascists throughout Europe and South America and the Philippines and say, uh-oh, I named my son Abraham Joseph Morjinsky. That might not go well if there's a new, new far-right fascism rising in the world. Some of us may be afraid because, you know, America is in relative decline compared to other powers in the world. Some of us, the pandemic is a constant source of low and high level fear. Some of us look at how America is polarizing and that radicalism and violence is becoming increasingly common and you fear for the future of our nation. Uh, heck, read climate news. That's enough to scare you. There are enough things in the world and in our personal lives that would make us just freeze in place and say, I can't go forward. How could I possibly move in and move on and move forward with life when there are so many fears, so many things to be 
afraid of. You know, you get really unhelpful help from much of our culture. Remember FDR said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And the Nazis, come on, he forgot the Nazis. They're really scary. Like th this attitude that there's nothing to fear, it's not true. There is plenty to fear, but how do we avoid getting frozen in place by fear? Because when you are in a fearful place, a self-protective place, you know what happens? You can't be in relationship. You get distant, you get self-protective. You get desperate, right? <laughs> That's a sure way to push people away. Now, our text today, uh, Genesis 32, 1 through 12, is, is right in the middle of the story of Jacob. Jacob has been Mr. Can-Do in the book of Genesis. Through personal physical strength, lots of hard work, some, some good planning and downright dirty tricks, he has been able to handle every situation that has come his way until this passage. You see, he is returning to the land of Canaan after 20 years away. And he knows that he has a problem waiting for him that scares him to death. It's his brother Esau. Esau, who he tricked out of his birthright and his inheritance, who 20 years ago vowed to murder Jacob. That's what he is returning to. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Oh, Jacob's got a plan how he's going to deal with the thing that scares him. He sends messengers instructing them. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. You see what he's doing? He's saying, if you don't kill me, I'll give you stuff. That's his plan. I have lots of stuff. I'm going to bribe my brother out of his murderous rage. Jacob always has a plan. That's a pretty good plan. Bribery will get you out of most things. Okay, not that I know. Like, I've never actually bribed anybody. Verse 6, the plan completely fails. It says, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. What answer did Esau give? None. So these messengers go. They say, hey, Jacob's back. He's got lots of stuff. He wants to be friends. He'll give you things. Esau doesn't say anything to these messengers. Like I could just imagine him. Here's the message. His response is to grab their pack animals and get 400 guys and start marching towards where Jacob is. Why do you bring 400 guys? The answer, to kill everybody. <laughs> okay? That is a small army designed to wipe out Jacob and everything he owns. And Jacob is understandably afraid. Look at verses 7 and 8. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So this is the plan of a terrified man, isn't it? He's like, the best I can do, they're going to come kill everybody. Maybe if I just split my camps, 
I could sacrifice one, save the other. That is the plan of a terrified man. He has reached a point in his journey. No tricks are going to save him here. No amount of physical strength or hard work. He is all done. How does he move forward through his fear? We're going to see Jacob do something he has never done in the book of Genesis to this point. You know what he does? For the first time, Jacob prays. He turns to God in faith. And that is how he moves forward through his fear, by faith. First of all, in who God is. Look at verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. So did you hear what he said? Which God? Not just any God. Abraham's God. Isaac's God. His God. The one who said to him. It is first by faith in who God is. Why does it matter? How does it help your fear to know who someone is? Give you a scenario. Let's pretend you are at a bus stop at about 1 a.m. in Rio de Janeiro. Notoriously tough town. Shady dude comes up and asks for all your money. Who's afraid? I am. Don't worry. Pollyanna Viana's with you. Everybody feel better? No. You know why? You don't know who she is. Pollyanna Viana stands maybe five foot three, 115 pounds in wet clothes. She's also an MMA fighter, and when she, she was in Rio de Janeiro, her hometown, got mugged, attempted to get mugged, and in 10 seconds of self-defense, she hospitalized the dude. Okay, so you're getting mugged, but don't worry, Pollyanna Viana's with you. Who feels better now? All of us, because now you know who she is. If we do not know who God is, God cannot be a help in time of need. The more deeply we come to know God through the scriptures, through personal experience, the more help we are going to have to move forward through fear. Some of us may conceive of God as a, you know, an American idol judge, watching your performance, arms crossed, saying, like Simon Cowell, that was awful. You just need to quit. This other person's much better than... That's not who God is. You also may conceive of God as a, as a vague, impersonal, universal force, what some people nowadays call the universe, right? Like, guys, the sum total of all matter in the world doesn't care about you. I guarantee you the, the horsehead nebula has not thought about what's going on in your life. That's not who God is. God is not a vague, impersonal force. You notice how Jacob says... The God of Abraham, that God, the one who did that stuff for Abraham, for Isaac, and for me. We need to daily get to know God more, to see what he's done in the scriptures, to reflect on what he's done in our lives. Because that's where he goes next, is, is, is Jacob. He moves, moves forward through fear by faith in God, in who God is, but also in what God has done. Verse 10 he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, 
from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. So he's saying, I, I, I'm calling on you because not only are you this God of Abraham and Isaac and me, but because I've experienced your goodness and your faithfulness. I, I crossed the Jordan just with the staff. Look at all that you've done for me in fulfilling your promises. So he relies on his own past experience with God's faithfulness. Like remembering what someone has done does wonders for you in facing a moment of present fear and crisis. Now, you guys tolerate, Derek tolerates the fact that I'm a Laker fan, so he's going to hate this. But one of my favorite Lakers all time is a guy named Robert Ory. You probably haven't heard of him, but they called him Big Shot Bob because he just made game winner after game winner. And there was this key game, it's, it's a famous game, someone may have written a song about this moment, and someone may have made a video and posted it on YouTube. It might be called Robert Ory Saved the Day. That's the only time I'm going to tell you about that. Anyway, um, so they, the, the Lakers were in the Western Conference Finals against the Kings. Kings had a great team that year. And they were about to lose the series. And uh, they were two points down. There was like five seconds left. And the ball goes where everyone thinks it's going to go. Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant drives misses the shot at the rim. Shaquille O'Neal gets a hand on it, tries to tip it in, misses the tip. And then the, the center for the Kings, Vlade Divas, just kind of slaps it out, like, like just slap it out to midcourt, let time expire. But the ball bounces right into the hands of awaiting Robert Ory. Now, my favorite part of this whole thing is that if you go back and look at the video or look at pictures, you'll see Kobe Bryant inside, like, panicking, and then he looks and sees the ball bounce, and he sees who it bounces to. And you know what Kobe does? He goes like this. Shot isn't even up yet, and he's already celebrating, right? He doesn't see the, the ball go. Of course, the ball went in. They won the game, won the series, won the championship. It was amazing. Sorry, Derek. He hated all of that. <laughs> but why? Because Kobe had past experience. He knew. Last second shot, game on the line, open from three. Robert Ory, it's done. He's seen him do it. He had faith in what he had done. When you find yourself facing another fearful situation with your finances, which we all will and we all do, we get amnesia about how God has been there for us in the past. I'm noticing no one here has starved to death, right? We need to reach back into God's faithfulness in our personal past and say, you know what? God was there for me then. I believe God's going to be there for me again. If you're risking your heart and it's been broken before or you've been rejected before, has God ever been there for you and carried you through a hard experience in the past? Has he ever gotten you out of a mess? Not easy, not quick, not painlessly, but I'm saying, did God deliver you before in your past? We forget these things. We become such prisoners of that moment of fear. But when we're in that moment of fear, we need to not only remember that we not only move forward by faith in who God is, but in what God has done. And then the last one that we see Jacob do 
is, is he moves forward by faith in what God has promised. And really, without doing the first two, you can't do the third, right? Look what he says in verse 12. He says, but you said, God, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Translation, you can't fulfill that promise if I'm dead. Therefore, I am confident that you're going to deliver me out of this. Okay, he has confidence. He has faith in what God has promised to do. God is in the business of keeping very unlikely promises. Think of this. 3,400 years ago, we are talking about Middle Bronze Age, folks. It was promised to a guy named Abraham that through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. What are the odds of that happening? Because you do realize that people, like here we are, none of us descendants of Abraham except one or two. People who represent different continents, different tribes, different backgrounds. And today, there are billions of people across the world who have been blessed by the God of Abraham. Heck of a coincidence if there is no God fulfilling that promise, don't you think? I mean, you wouldn't be betting on the, like, because it wasn't like there was a people of God. There was person of God, Abraham. That was it. Think of this. 600 years before Jesus, there was prophesied a Messiah that would come to God's people. 600 years before, during the exile, give or take a few years. Lo and behold, that Savior came. Jesus also, 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised that the church would last until his return. Guys, I, I don't know if you read much church history of the first couple of centuries. It was not looking good. It was not looking good at all. There were many times in, world, in, in, in the history of the church where the Christian faith nearly vanished off the face of the earth. Yet here we are, stronger than ever. Again, none of that's likely. We're all amazed when Babe Ruth was like, I'm going to hit it over there, right? Like these are shots called thousands of years ago that are still being fulfilled right now. Now think of God's future promises. You who fear sickness, you who fear death, it is promised to you that death has no sting. Because just as Jesus rose, you will rise. Those of us who fear for the decline of Western whatever, or that, you know, coming secularization is going to wipe out the church, or whatever. Jesus said that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Right? America might not be here. There's no promise of that. But God's people will until his return. That same God promised you who are facing great fear financially, relationally, whatever it is. He promised that even if you can't see it now, that all must work for your good ultimately. How do we move forward through fear? The answer is not by whistling past the graveyard. 
The answer is by faith in who God is, by faith in what God has done, and, and faith in his future promises, that he's still going to be the same. Now, I've asked for permission to share this from my daughter, Frankie. Frankie is, uh, is an amazing kid who wants to do everything and try everything and it al is also starts out terrified of everything. And uh, that goes for riding a bike, learning how to catch a football. And then this summer, when we were in California, she wanted to learn how to dive under a wave. It's called duck diving, right? You, if you guys don't know, this is a great trick. You don't have to get walloped by a wave. You just dive under it. You come out the other side, no problem. And she was having a hard time getting the nerve up. She's like, Dad, you've got to teach me how. And I was like, well, uh, I'm going to try. And, 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 and I was just showing her how to dive under. But her fear wouldn't let her take the dive. And so I said, honey, you, you remember. You remember when I taught you how to ride a bike. You were afraid, I said, trust me, and you learned how to ride a bike. She's like, yeah. I was like, remember, you're afraid to learn how to catch a football. I said, trust me, and you learned how to catch a football. She's like, yeah. I was like, well, here's what you have to do. You, you just, you, you, you can't just kind of be afraid of the wave. You've really got to go at it. You've just got to, got to go, woo, tang, and like under. She's like, well, why do I have to do that? I'm like, baby, you have to call on the power of the woo. You know, I mean, guys, I wouldn't like, you call on the power of the Lord for actual problems, right? Like God's answer to, you need the power to dive under the wave. I gave you a human body. You can do it. <laughs> and so, so I taught her. You just go, woo, tang, and then go under. And so soon, she had finally worked up the courage, called on the power of the woo, and she was doing it, right? And, and it, was her, it was her past experience. She knew who I was. I wasn't going to deceive her. I wasn't going to mislead her. And we had done this exact thing a bunch of times where she was afraid. I taught her, said, trust me. She trusted me, and she learned. A, a quick addendum is that uh, she just started soccer, and, and her first soccer practice, she was really nervous. I was like, honey, don't worry. This is just like everything else. Trust Dad. Just go out. And they were starting a scrimmage, and I was like, oh. She turned toward me, and she went, and then got in there and played. <laughs> guys God is not a vague force he is our loving father he is there for us in times when we are fearful the next time you find yourself anxious frozen pushing people away keeping yourself safe because you are fearful move forward through faith by faith in who God is what he has done and what he has promised. Let's pray. God, I, you are faithful to us. So many times we forget that. So many times we believe a lie that you are a condemning judge or a detached vagueness. Instead, you are God our Father. You are Jesus our Savior. You are the Holy Spirit our Comforter. We praise you and thank you and pray that we could move forward through fear by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.